Hey, this is Joe Bakhmutsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. When it comes to treating cancer, like we really rush into it as early as possible and rightly so. I mean, you want to get rid of it, right? But it's easy to miss something crucial. And that's where we need to talk about fertility. You want to make sure that you're really clear about your options, even if you're not even thinking about having kids right now. So to help you navigate the world of fertility and cancer, you're going to hear from Mahmoud. He's the expert in the field of oncofertility, and he's here, in fact, as a representative of the Oncofertility Consortium that is based in the Northwestern University in the United States. So let's check it out. Thanks so much for doing this, Mahmoud. And I guess, you know, there are so many treatments for cancer that they all affect people in a different way. But like when it comes to understanding the impact on fertility, it's really important to be prepared, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I recommend that uh, each patient who will receive chemotherapy and radiotherapy should know adequate information about the effect of the anti-cancer treatment on his or her fertility. The main issue in this uh, topic is that the anti-cancer treatments have uh, side effects, some side effects, and sometimes these side effects are very strong and dangerous uh, regarding the fertility. That's why some famous scientific uh, organizations worldwide classified the anti-cancer treatments regarding their risk on fertility into different categories. To speak to patients, I always say that a cancer patient at least should have the awareness about the type of anti-cancer treatment she or he will get. I can just say, for example, as a start, that the high-risk uh, anti-cancer treatments should be known very well to the patients. And this category contain total body irradiation, so if the patient will receive irradiation all over her or his body, cranial irradiation, so uh, radiation to the head, or radiation to the pelvis that contains in females, of course, the ovaries, or for the males, the uh, testes. Or another type of chemotherapy, it's called alkylating chemotherapy. These chemotherapies are very strong and they cause damage to the gonads. Gonads means ovaries or in females or testes in, in males. These alkylating agents like uh, cyclophosphamide or pusulfan are also used in many cancers. Or if the patient will uh, receive surgery including removal of ovary in females or testes in males. These conditions are really important that the patient be aware of and he should or she, or she should know that in these conditions there is a high risk of losing fertility up to 80%. And that's why another measure should be provided to preserve fertility. From the other point of view, okay, this is the um, highly toxic or highly gonadotoxic group of anti-cancer treatments. But when we are used in females, the most common uh, cancers that require aggressive anti-cancer treatment in, in females are breast or cervical cancers or leukemia, lymphoma, 
and central nervous system. So any patient that will suffer from breast cancer, any female patient that will suffer from breast cancer, cervical cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, central nervous system, most probably will receive this aggressive anti-cancer treatments and will be in uh, for losing fertility. For uh, males, the most common cancers also that necessitate aggressive anti-cancer treatments are testicular cancer, germ cell tumor, leukemia, lymphoma, and central nervous system. So any male patients will uh, be diagnosed with these types of cancer. Most probably will receive aggressive chemotherapy and radiotherapy and then should receive also fertility preservation uh, measures. So this is just a, a summary or a short account on the uh, effect of uh, anti-cancer treatments on fertility regarding female and male patients. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic, Mahmoud. So thank you for sharing that. So in terms of preserving fertility, like what are the main options for women? Regarding this, we classify the options that we can give to women into uh, three major categories. Established options that are recognized by most of the scientific uh, organizations worldwide and non-established options or debatable options and experimental options. The established options are embryo freezing and egg freezing or oocyte freezing. The debatable options include using of GnRH analogs or surgical transposition of ovaries away from the field of irradiation, using of shields to protect the ovaries during radiotherapy, or fractionation. So we fractionate the doses of chemotherapy and radiotherapy in order to make these doses less gonadotoxic. And the experimental options include ovarian tissue freezing and uh, later transplantation, uh, in vitro maturation of eggs and freezing by vitrification, and very new option uh, called artificial ovary. It's something very experimental, but we think it will uh, have a major uh, impact in the future uh, when uh, research results improve. So this is uh, just a, a summary for the options that we can offer to uh, ladies and young girls also. This is also very important. So the fertility preservation options are uh, provided to adult or young adult women and also to girls, the young girls before puberty. So any young girl diagnosed recently with cancer at the age of younger than uh, 12 or something can also use this some of these uh, fertility preservation options. This is very important because the young girl with cancer, maybe, maybe they are not um, offered these options as many doctors also are not aware about the availability of fertility preservation options or some fertility preservation options to the young girls. So fertility preservation options can be provided to young adult women and to young girls before puberty. This is also very important. Yeah, that's crucial that you're sharing that, Mahmoud. So in terms of the, the time window, like before commencing radiation treatment or chemotherapy, so how much time do you need for, for these types of options to put that into play? This is a very good question because time is, is one of the most important factors for success in fertility preservation strategies in general. Uh, as long as we have uh, time before 
initiation of anti-cancer therapy, we can provide more options. That means early diagnosis of cancer is a very important factor or very important success factor that the patient diagnosed very early and then referred from the oncologist to the gynecologist or to the reproductive biologist uh, center or, or, or team or oncofertility team very early. Then the oncofertility team can assess the situation and discuss with the, the oncologist and also discuss with the patients the number of fertility preservation options that can be offered and then fix the fertility preservation strategy. In emergency cases, so for example, if uh, the patient is diagnosed just today and she has to start chemotherapy tomorrow, for example, in this case, we have a small number of options because we don't have time. So time is very important. And according to the time we have, we can provide some fertility preservation options before initiation of anti-cancer therapy. And we can also provide some option during the period of anti-cancer uh, therapy. And we can later after, of course, uh, giving the anti-cancer therapy, we can do also some measures to restore fertility. So it is basically two-step strategy. Step one is to preserve fertility, and we can do that before initiation of anti-cancer therapy or during the period of anti-cancer therapy. And step two is to restore fertility. So we preserve first, and then after chemotherapy, we restore. So this is how we think about time and about the options that we can provide them to, to the patient. Yeah, Mahmoud, it's fantastic to know that there are definitely options. And what about men? What about men and, and I guess, younger boys? What are the options for them when it comes to preserving fertility? That's also a good question that you mentioned boys or young boys because it is the same. We can provide options to young boys and also to young uh, adult men. The same concept. We have three categories, established options like sperm freezing or debatable options like gene-rich analogues, uh, uh, shielding also to the area of scrotum or fractionation of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and experimental options like uh, freezing of the testicular tissue or using stem cells and some uh, other new techniques. I want also to emphasize a concept that the adult patients, either uh, women or men, have big number of options, while the younger patients, due to the biology and uh, because they are before puberty, either girls or boys, have a small number of options. And that's why the younger patients or young cancer patients for us are difficult cases a little bit because we don't have enough options for them. And in practice, we observe some sort of lack of awareness among doctors and also among patients or their legal guardians about the available fertility preservation options that can be provided in these cases. So maybe I take this chance, the dialogue with you, to say that young cancer patients, either girls and boys, can benefit from uh, fertility preservation options and should be informed or well informed about this by their oncologists 
and should be referred as early as possible to the oncofertility team in order to design the suitable fertility preservation strategy for them. You make such a crucial point, Mahmoud, and uh, I know that, for example, my oncologist was great in telling me about my options and suggested, you know, sperm freezing before treatment. But yeah, you know, not everyone, you know, is so lucky. And so, yes, if you are going through this process, like, what, what are some of the questions you should be asking for, and 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 what should you do if you're not getting the answers that you're looking for when it comes to fertility preservation? And you're perhaps talking to your specialist. This is a very good question because this is how we deal in reality. So I can I can say the for each cancer patient once diagnosed with cancer he has to ask his oncologist or her oncologist the following question what is the risk of gonadotoxicity of the anti cancer therapies that I will receive and what is the probability of losing my fertility after receiving this anti-cancer therapy. This is very important because if the risk of losing fertility as a result of the anti-cancer therapy is greater than 50%, then a fertility preservation strategy should be provided as soon as possible before initiation of anti-cancer therapy. So the first question, what is the risk of losing my fertility with this anti-cancer therapy? The second question, if the risk is greater than 50%, what are the possible fertility preservation options that can I receive and where I can receive them? Because it's very important. Uh, sometimes uh, patients don't know uh, where they can receive these services. And also these services are not present in each hospital. These services, fertility preservation services, are relatively new. Uh, medical uh, treatments and complex also in the same way so they are not available at each clinic or each uh, hospital so you can find them only in uh, university hospitals for example or big uh, specialized hospitals so the oncologist has to inform the patient uh, where he can or she can get this fertility preservation uh, treatments and also it's better to tell the patients how much these fertility preservation options or treatments cost because in many situations or in many countries, the coverage of the insurance is not uh, universal and some uh, fertility treatments even and fertility preservation treatments are not covered by insurance and then they are uh, very expensive services and many patients cannot afford this. So it is the complex uh, process that uh, patient, but it's very crucial, very crucial and very important to make information available to the patient and to give them a guide where they can go and how much and if they need financial help, where also they can ask and get uh, financial help. Of course, the awareness of the community is very important. And there are many universities and centers worldwide are exerting uh, good efforts to uh, spread awareness about fertility preservation options and a care for cancer patients. So in case the patient didn't get enough information or no information from his oncologist, he has 
to search at least on the internet about the major places or sites that can uh, provide enough information for this. Of course, there uh, in the United States, there is uh, Onco Fertility Consortium at uh, Northwestern University, and they have a very good online service. And uh, one of these services is the website Save My Fertility, SaveMyFertility.org, and through this website, there are enough information about all steps in fertility preservation for cancer patients and good answers to the most of questions that can be asked in, in such situations. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, Mahmoud. So you also mentioned that there are some experimental treatments, such as freezing testicular tissue. Are these, are these experimental methods, are they workable in practice right now? Uh, yes, yes. In cancer patients, the experimental uh, options are new options. Many scientific groups are trying very hard since a long time to provide options that can help preserve fertility in wider groups of patients. So, for example, we have established options, but these established options are not suitable for all patients and that's why we have to develop new methods to cover more or to benefit more patient groups this is the the concept regarding the experimental options in case of female cancer patients here comes uh, ovarian tissue freezing and or transplantation this technique actually is in practice for more than 15 years and it is successful and till now the number of babies born and reported worldwide following this technique is more than 120. So that means that a cancer patient before, a female cancer patient before initiation of anti-cancer therapy, she can receive small surgery to remove one ovary or part of her ovary and then we freeze this ovarian tissue for years until the patient start chemotherapy and finish the chemotherapy and radiotherapy and become fit again and willing to get pregnant. At that time, if she suffer from problems to get pregnant in a natural way, then she can use her stored or frozen ovarian tissue. So we throw out or defreeze her ovarian tissue and retransplant this tissue back to the same patient again. And then with some medications, we uh, stimulate the ovulation again and help the patients to get pregnant. This process was successful and produced more than 120 babies reported worldwide. So for ovarian tissue freezing and or transplantation, it is in practice and success rate is about 25% and this is as an experimental option a very acceptable and good success rate and with improvement of the technique of freezing and or transplantation the success rate of ovarian tissue freezing and or, and or transplantation will increase dramatically in the near future. Regarding the male patients, the testicular tissue freezing is relatively something new than the ovarian tissue freezing. And it is not uh, widely used in practice for one reason, because 
they established the option for men for example sperm freezing is a very successful and very easy <laughs> option so it is satisfactory for many doctors to depend on sperm freezing but the problem comes in the young boys young boys before puberty don't produce sperm and in this case we have only one option left just to take part of the testes or testicular tissue and freeze it and then think how we can use this tissue to produce sperm in the lab. Many uh, scientific work has been, has been done in this uh, direction and uh, they have promising results but till now there is no babies born from testicular tissue freezing and transplantation for example. For women, ovarian tissue is in practice since uh, more than 15 years and uh, produced babies. So this is the difference between them. But in general, the, the future comes from this experimental option. The option that is experimental now will be established within uh, 5 to 10 years or so. We are uh, progressing in this uh, direction. Yeah, that's fantastic, Mahmoud, to know that we are moving forward as a society in this area. And uh, because there are many challenges around fertility, that there are not only medical, but of course there are financial, legal, and even religious reasons that can kind of get in the way. And uh, sometimes people can look, I guess, outside of their country to to get what they want, to get this sorted. So what do people need to know about that? This is a very important question and situation and phenomena. <laughs> now, fertility treatments are more uh, internationalized and uh, many uh, patients travel abroad to seek fertility treatments. Actually, it is, or this phenomena is a global phenomena and it has a definition in science. The big organizations in reproductive medicine in the United States, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, and also in Europe, the European Society for Human Reproduction and Embryology, uh, detected this phenomenon that many patients travel from their home country to another country to receive fertility treatments for different reasons. And this phenomenon now has a scientific term. It's called cross-border reproductive care or fertility tourism in some uh, cases. So cross-border reproductive care or CBRC is a global phenomenon growing and it is a, a reality. And the reasons for this phenomenon is that uh, some fertility treatments are not uh, available in some countries or some fertility treatments are expensive in some countries or some fertility treatments are not allowed by law in some countries due to religious or cultural reasons, as you said. So that's why some patients don't find these treatments or don't find uh, access to these treatments in their home countries. And that's why they travel to another countries to receive this uh, such a treatments. Uh, for example, third-party reproduction in general and surrogacy. So uh, sperm donation, uh, egg donation, embryo donation and surrogacy are not uh, legally allowed in many countries and patients who, who, who seek such type of treatments don't have other options rather than traveling to another country that allows 
such type of treatments. For cancer patients, as we speak about cancer patients, this issue is very important because uh, sometimes cancer patients don't receive uh, fertility preservation treatments or services before cancer treatment for many reasons. Maybe time, lack of time or lack of awareness or whatever. So if they received the cancer treatments and they suffered later from infertility or fertility loss, the only option for them at that time is to seek family building options or third party reproduction or adoption some of these because biologically they cannot have children after losing their fertility so in in such cases the only option available for them now is to go for third party reproduction or adoption and i can see many countries don't allow such type of options and then the only way for patients in this case is to go to another country that allowing such type of uh, of treatments at any case these patients also should receive good information about where they can go so if they will travel uh, abroad their doctors or their treating doctors should tell them where they go and which type of treatments should be uh, the best options for them. This is very important because, you know, uh, countries are not universal in their legal systems or uh, pricing regarding the medical services. So to avoid any kind of exploitation or, or harm to the patients, good information should be provided by the treating doctor and also um, selection of destination of a good destination that can provide good health services uh, according to the international guidelines in this case i guess it's very beneficial this cross-border reproductive care phenomena can be very beneficial to many patients as long as there are some some control control and guidance some guidance and control regarding such type of treatments yeah fantastic mahmoud thank you so much that was that was enlightening <laughs> thank you Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And um, you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. 
So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling. You're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one-page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, that we just talked about. You also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest. Like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 